Hello and welcome to Permanently Resident, a podcast about the ups and downs of living abroad. My name is Robin, I'm from Brighton, England, and I'm living in Richmond, California. Hey, I'm Jose, I'm from Simi Valley, California, and I'm living in Tokyo, Japan. So this is episode 15. Today we are talking about teaching ESL, something that's very close to both of our hearts. Um, so Jose, why did you uh, why did you decide to teach ESL? What were, you, what were your expectations for that? Okay, so I just wanted to go abroad, and teaching English was the easiest way to go abroad. I'm sure countless people have you know gone down this road. Um, so actually, it's it's kind of interesting. Before, right before finishing university, I went back to my junior college. And I had a visit with a history professor and I really expressed my interest to go into history or teach history. And then she said, well, I want you to meet somebody. Uh, he is a PhD history uh, student and he's recent, you know, he's uh, he got a new position here at the college and I want you to talk with him. And then he basically told me the percentages and the difficulties of becoming a history professor. And they were like, really it seemed almost astronomical to succeed and to land such a position in the future right so i I think he quickly scared me away from attempting anything like that because it was you know probably going to end in failure more than anything right um which you know i kind of appreciate it that he did put it in perspective the reality of how difficult it is to become a, a professor or teacher of history at a college or university i mean you gotta really commit and even if you commit it's not a guaranteed success right yeah i mean i think both of us have thought about this exactly the same thing to different degrees um Mm -hmm. maybe we talk about that a little bit more in a minute but um yeah so so then you know same for me too right teaching ESL abroad is just a tool to achieve something else in my case. Yeah, I was kind of interested in, in living abroad, but I guess my main aim was to learn to speak Spanish more fluently than I, than I did at the time. Uh, and that was so I could pursue a PhD in history uh, as well in Latin American history. Yeah. Um, so I guess now I think back to it, I didn't really have any very clear expectations about what teaching would be like. It was just something that I didn't especially want to do, but I was going to do anyway because I, it was the way to do something else. Did you have a clear idea about what it would be like to be a teacher and whether you'd enjoy it or not? Um, I didn't have a clear idea, but what I did do is uh, before I left the country, I went to St. Giles uh, it's an institute. Maybe you, you've been to it or around it in near Market Street, right? And well, yeah, for a little while, I taught, taught at St. Giles. Um, mm-hmm. But sad news St. Giles, San Francisco is closed down. Oh, so. No. <laughs> so, so, what they do is they give a CELTA certificate, which is like an internationally recognized certificate of teaching English, right? It's one of the more. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be a valuable, you know, certificate to have before going abroad. And I think it has served me pretty well. And um, so I quickly got a taste of what teaching would be like at St. Giles as they quickly throw you into the fire. And, you know, like you arrive there in San Francisco and the next day 
you're teaching uh, all these international students or immigrants basically right out of the gate. So did you enjoy that then or did you? It was stressful like oh I got to stand up in front of like a room of people and try to instruct them on some grammar point or these things I don't really know about or are really not interesting to me like it was it was just stressful more than anything that was my main my main feeling at that time but you know once you accomplish it you feel pretty good I guess yeah I guess I mean I did the same course I did I went to Madrid and Spain and my plan was to live and work in Spain that didn't it didn't turn out that way but uh that was my plan at the time and i guess yeah i felt like i improved but even by the end of the course i was still pretty stressed out standing up in front of a bunch of students did you get a pass or a pass b or uh no, no, no. i can't remember i think i got a pass yeah i just got a pass <laughs> i mean i'm definitely i definitely was not a natural teacher um you're a bit introverted, so I guess that would kind of uh, be a hurdle, right, or an obstacle for you. Yeah, I think in terms of building up enough confidence, it was definitely an obstacle for me in terms of, um, you know, performing in front of a group of people that I didn't know. But if anything, I think with more time, I've come to appreciate that. Mm hmm being being ineffective to start off with has actually become something of an asset mm. anyway so what so what was your what was your first job when you you know you you got to korea right and yeah so after picking up my celta and um you know passing the course and having finished university i went to korea and in Korea, I worked at a, what they would call a hagwon. In Japan, we'd call it a eikaiwa. And in English, we'd call it a language school. And just basically teaching at a language school for elementary school kids who would come there after school, right? Um, but uh, as, far as, I've, as far as I know about it, and you know much more about this, the sure. hagwons, although you might translate it as private school, I've heard it also translated as cram school, right? Yeah, which which paints it in a slightly more negative way. Definitely, um, I guess cram school because you know kids go to school all day and then they're just studying more, right? But I think cram school would also be for other subjects, mathematics or uh, social studies or anything kids needed help with. So I think I think this would be a little different because it's just an exclusively English school cram type of cram school, maybe. So. So was that fun then? Did you enjoy it? Uh, if, if it's between yes and no, I guess no. <laughs> um, you know, because you're teaching kids like colors and numbers and basic sentences. And yeah, there's some really nice kids and you really enjoy them. But there's also, you know, kids that just get on your nerves. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like the person who loves all kids, right? Like... You know, some some kids are cool. Some kids are not for me. That's you know that's that's the way I see. It. I get it. They're kids, and you know you just treat them as kind as you can. But it's definitely maybe I'm not the person who has that built-in patience. I mean, do you have that, do you mm. have that patience to teach kids? 
I think I do have that patience, but I don't like teaching kids. Um, it's okay. just it's just so much more stressful than teaching adults. You know, you got all you have to be paying attention all of the time. Um, yeah, you so have to. You know, some people say like, "Oh, their their little smiles or their uh, their hearts." That's a rewarding part. <laughs> it's not enough of a reward for me. Well, I mean, I just I just couldn't. At the moment, I've got another part-time job, which is training new ESL teachers, right? And I just finished I just finished the course mm-hmm. uh, with a group yesterday. And when we talk about teaching kids, what I always say is like, if you're going to teach kids, you've got to really want to teach kids. You've got to really love teaching kids. Because yeah. if you're kind of on the fence about it or you don't really like it, you're going to hate being in the classroom for 20, 25 hours a week with a yeah. bunch of kids. Like, it's going to drive you insane um so yeah i mean i like i like spending time with kids uh you know i got four younger brothers so you know i know how it is but it's just that high level of stress that i don't uh i don't like and i think i learned that very quickly in terms of teaching because my first job was teaching at a summer camp in the south of spain so i just finished my certification like the next day I'm on the bus going to some like little city in the South of Spain and I get there and like no time to prepare, um, no time to settle in. They're like, okay, go and go into the playground. We're going to send the new kids and you just entertain them for an unspecified period of time. I was like, I don't know. I've got, I've got literally nothing like no equipment, you know nothing and i'm like what the hell am i going to do with these kids <laughs> and uh you know i muddled through but those situate those kind of situations not enjoyable yeah so i think kids are going to be kids and you know it is what it is but i think the other point i don't like about teaching kids is from my side the subject matter is just quite boring like i mean mm. how many times can you teach red and blue and one in one through ten and I like, I don't like, like, you know, it's just, it's not their fault. They're kids. So they're just learning English and I appreciate that and good on them. And I hope they, you know, they keep doing it and it's, it's great to learn a language, but from my side, it's just, it's not very uh, enjoyable to teach that kind of material. I kind of like teaching the same thing over and over again. Um, Obviously, obviously, I mean, yeah, that's part of it. But obviously, there's a limit. I don't want to teach the same lesson a hundred times. But Mm -hmm. there's something I find quite enjoyable about teaching it once and then kind of reworking it a little bit the second time. It's Mm -hmm. almost like a comedy routine, you know, like... (laughs) Perfecting your routine. The, the second time hopefully you'll get more laughs than the first time um but yeah i can i can see how you know teaching shapes and colors 10 times in one week can get very dull oh man yeah definitely um so who who's who's the weirdest student that you've ever had um well you know probably like uh i've taught office workers and i've run into some some pretty weird office workers before. Uh, I don't know. There was there was a guy in Hitachi. Uh, no names, of course. Um, 
but I'll say the company if any Hitachi people are listening. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was like, he just seemed like a really miserable guy. <laughs> a really, yeah. always be like, how are you? He's like, not good. <laughs> oh, oh, work's so busy. I'm like, okay, I got you, I got you. I'm like, so let's study. He's all, okay. I'm like, so what? why do you want to improve your English? He's like, oh, my company makes me come here. I'm like, well, okay, well, that's cool to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad we all got, we got that out in the open. And uh, he's like, that he'd go into like, oh, it's so boring. And then he'd be like, I'm not married. I'm like, well, you know, you have a good job. You can get married. He's like, no, no woman would want to be with me. <laughs> All right, well. Sounds, sounds like me when we first met. <laughs> yeah, he was just like such a doubter. And um, yeah, I don't know. But he just wanted, he, he was basically, it's a bit typical in Japan. Not, not all Japanese, but there are a small percentage of Japanese office workers who are forced by their company to take a language course, but they just want to get the little box ticked, but they have no, okay. they have no interest in learning. And he, he, fall, he fell into that category. He'd be like, all right, you know, this class, we're just going to watch a movie just to get it over with. So we're not even going to study. And I'd put on the movie for him. And, uh, yeah, he fell asleep <laughs> during the movie. <laughs> but, you know, in all fairness, it was a pretty bad movie. So for anyone listening, please don't watch Solo. Solo, a Star Wars story, is hot, hot garbage. And it almost put me to sleep, too. Well, as a, as a salary man in Japan, he probably just needed a nap, didn't he? Yeah, he probably just, he just wanted a nap. And there'd be other people who would, like, there was this one guy and I didn't go to his company office. He'd just come to like um, our, I guess, our building, office building, and take the lesson there. Usually they have a choice. You know, we get dispatched there or they come here, right? And there's a difference in fee, I guess. And what he would do is the lesson would be at eight. He'd show up at eight. He'd stay 10 minutes. And then he'd be like, all right, well, I got to go to work. So um, thanks a lot for the lesson. I'd be like, okay. And the only reason he was doing that bullshit was because he wanted to get it ticked off so his company could see, oh, man, he goes to every lesson kind of thing. Right? <laughs> He's a, a real jackass. But anyway. Well, you, st- you still got paid for the full hour or whatever, right? I was on salary, so it didn't matter. But it was, uh, okay. but it was pretty annoying because I'd have to wake up extra early to, for this guy's lesson, and it's not even a lesson, right? So, uh, uh. <laughs> let me uh, let me share one with you this is yeah. that, that sounds like yours was true a truly miserable uh young gentleman but uh yeah. the one i had the one that comes to mind for me is a, a truly weird one so okay after i worked at the uh summer camp in spain i just was there for a few weeks and then i got offered a job in mexico so i thought okay you know, it was, 2000, it was 2010, it's the middle of the financial crisis, which was especially bad in Spain. So I thought, okay, mm-hmm. I've got a job, one year contract, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to take this side. So I jet off to Mexico and I'm over there and I started working at a technical college in Mexico. Um, and there was this one, you know, this is... This, what, what institution or what, where? It, a technical university. Technical university, okay, okay. Similar, I mean, they have a government-run system which is very similar to like community college system in California or 
or any American state really. So, okay. um, so anyway, so I, I'm there and, you know, there's quite a lot of the students were quite enthusiastic about talking to me you know, it was a novelty and, you know, quite a few of them really wanted to learn English mm -hmm. uh, to work in the tourist industry or hospitality, etc, sure. um, etc, et right? Um, so, you know, people just, people would turn up and they'd want to chat with me relatively often. Um, but there was this one young woman, no mm -hmm. names mentioned, who uh, would just turn up very, very frequently. Uh -huh. Just be walking down the corridor, boom! Suddenly Ooh. she'd pop out from around the corner. Hello! Hello, Robin! <laughs> and it started, you know, it started happening a little bit too frequently. And. Oh. Pardon? A student? A student, a student yeah. Okay. Um, and she was extremely Catholic and extremely Ooh. conservative Ooh. and uh, short overweight she had very very poor eyesight so she was wearing these these glasses with huge huge thick um <laughs> lenses mm. uh, and i just uh, i got to the point where i was to be stressing out walking around the campus because i know that she'd just like pop out and be like hello mm. can we practice speaking now and I'd be you're, like, you're oh, no I don't want to know. Hey, if she was, if she was, uh, I don't know, a, a bit, you know, I, I don't know how to say this. Broad. She was a bit more attractive. Perhaps he would have changed your tune. Well, I won't. You know, I'm not going to respond to hypothetical situations like that. But <laughs> perhaps, yeah. But I mean, I think what what was strange to me is just how she obviously had uh, some kind of crush on me. Was she we were just we were just completely incompatible. I just <laughs> really confused me. Anyway, were you? Was it like she just wanted to practice English and she was being friendly, or she just she just loved you, had a crush on you, or somewhere in between? I mean, I, I can't. I can only speculate. Her English was already very good, so I think she did. She did really want to practice her English, and then. Um, but later on, though, she admitted to she admitted to my um, boss that she wanted to get married with me. So, you know, <laughs> it was confirmed in the end. A confirmation in place. Nice. Yeah. And my my boss told her to uh, back off a little bit. <laughs> she didn't really take much. Uh, she didn't really take much uh, attention to the movement. I see. I see. Yeah, it can happen. I guess. Have you have you ever been have you ever had a, an attempted seduction in uh, inside or outside of the classroom? I'm gonna pass on this one. <laughs> no, I mean, has a student ever shown strong interest? No, it's light, light, light interest, light interest, a light interest. I've not, okay, I've not been so lucky as you. <laughs> I'm not sure I described that as lucky. I mean, I've had a. I'm not going to say it happens all the time, but it's, oh it's happened. Bond out here again, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened on several occasions where people have uh, been extremely proactive in trying to seduce me. Um, um, and I think, I think it's just being in that teacher position that does it. There's something about, you know, some people, you know, women and men just kind of get off from that dynamic. 
Digital power. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, I think probably if you think back to when you were at high school, yeah. you, know, uh, you probably thought one or more of the teachers was very attractive. But now looking back, you think, not really. It was just power. They were just unattainable. That was it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Good. Well, I thought you were going to have a juicy story for me. I'm very disappointed. With it. <laughs> no, most of my stories are just uh, some uh, weird students. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Run, run into a lot of that like kind of stuff. So I had a guy explain to me like about his ham radio for like 45 minutes one time. <laughs> like, it was the greatest hobby in the world. I was like, all right. Uh, you got to learn the techniques to do, you know, lead people away from those kind of topics. Yeah. Um, so, so what's, you know, I know maybe this is a good time to mention, you know, you're trying to move away from teaching ESL, right? You're actively trying yeah. to move away from that, right? Why, yeah. why is that? I just don't have, uh, I don't have uh, enough passion for ESL teaching in general. So I don't think it's good to try to keep going in it. And I'm also at an age where if I'm going to make a change, it needs to be done now. Mm. I do have some students, which I really enjoy teaching. And these kinds of students are students who already speak enough English where we can have deep conversations or we could have like uh, some study some business cases or uh, get more into the deep level type of stuff. And yeah, I really enjoy teaching them. And that aspect of it is not something I would want to stop. But mm -hmm. in general, to make it my full-time profession or continue it being my full-time profession is not something I envision. I envision mm -hmm. being like a weekend teacher or a part-time teacher to a select few students, which, uh, you know, maybe... I, I really enjoy to teach. That makes sense. Yeah. So what? So what's pushed you away from teaching then? Has there been any places that have been especially uh -huh. bad? Um, I think what pushes me away from teaching, and maybe this is Japan specific, is I feel like a commodity more than anything. I feel like uh, the industry is set up where like, um, you know, the business model is, okay, we need, to, we need to make revenue. So the way to make revenue is to push our brand and provide services, right? And part of the service is providing this native English teacher. But in the end, there's so much turnover in native English teachers. So you're not, you're not really a part of the company usually. You're more just uh, used as a, as a means, as a product, you know, which can be easily replaced. And this doesn't go for all teachers, but I mean, this is like the mass major majority, of, vast majority of teachers, I think, are used in that uh, commodity type of way, right? So that's just not fulfilling at all, I think. I hear you. I... I've had a couple of jobs that have been kind of like that, but I guess for the most part, yeah. not not really. And especially the job that I have at the moment is definitely not like that. So yeah. maybe that's made it a little bit more enjoyable for me. Definitely. And like I said, this is not all teaching jobs. 
obviously there's there's teaching jobs in Japan which are like really good or like working at a university or being a professor or even being maybe middle management in one of these Eikaiwa companies or language school companies is cool and people really like it and it's meaningful for them and it's it's like a real job but if you're in the position where like you just you're at the bottom and you're just teaching you know lessons as a you know commodity then you know you don't want to be there I think mm. So before you mentioned that you that one of your least enjoyable experiences was working in Japanese public school. Yeah. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? That is, uh, I guess maybe that's quite different from some of the experiences that I've had. Um. Yeah, I think I think Japanese teaching in a Japanese school was not enjoyable for me because. You know, I think, first of all, to work in a Japanese public school, you have to be like a really kind of conservative person. Like those, those people aren't the people who go out drinking after work or they're not the people who like, you know, hang out. I mean, they, they, they really care about their like public image so much that the way they conduct themselves on a daily basis, which, which is proper for working in a Japanese elementary school. But it's it's quite boring, I think, as far as socializing with them. So I thought socializing with um, the Japanese public school teachers was was not very interesting in general. Uh, they definitely, I mean, there was a couple, but usually they're not up up for like adventure or hanging out. You know, they're they work literally from six a.m. until seven p.m. If you can imagine, because unlike American public schools, there's not like the administrative staff of secretaries and uh, janitor, well, there are janitors, secretaries and office office people, they handle all these things, right? They handle all of it. So they're kind of wearing two hats. So they're there all day, literally, and they're going to home like at 8 p.m. Like in elementary school, what teacher went home at 8 p.m.? Do you remember? I definitely don't remember anything like that. Well, I finished elementary school when I was at 3 p.m., so I wasn't hanging around the school checking when the teachers were leaving. <laughs> but, yeah, because it's it's such a huge part of their life, it's, it's, it's like, so consuming, I think, that mm. they're totally consumed by this position, which the position is not only a job, but it is defining who they are to an extent, I think. I think I've seen that in other places, too, and I think... You probably you probably find that in in American public schools as well. Like the job just becomes kind of all consuming. Really? Okay. As far as I understand, I mean, uh, my knowledge of American public school systems is fairly um, shallow. But you know, I've I've talked to a number of American public school um, teachers, and it just seems like mm-hmm. it takes up so much time because they just don't have the financial and physical resources that they need so they have to mm. they have to spend more and more of their time planning and doing admin tasks and preparation and stuff like that yeah yeah it just seems that japanese public school teachers are completely overstretched um they need to do stuff like when the kids walk home they like do some kind of patrol or ride a bike around to make sure the kids are like walking home safely like all these like extra things right like like i don't know like they they would do things that seem not within the scope of being a teacher but i guess it's just different yeah i thinking back maybe 
three years ago, three years or so, I, I think I personally was getting a little, was getting fatigued with teaching yeah. uh, ESL just because if you just, if just as a teacher, there's, there's not really, you don't go anywhere, uh, you know, you're a teacher and then you're a teacher and then you're a teacher. Like there's no, well, then you're a teacher trainer and then you're, oh, then you're a manager of teachers. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I'm moving on up. Uh, uh, that's fine um but i didn't you know i didn't feel like i was going in anywhere especially here like every single job as a as an esl teacher is part-time no benefits no vacation time no sick time um so that's pr that's pretty tough i guess that's why i started to move away from it see i see um also not not only like is the job not attractive but like the people they hire usually are not trained to be teachers so i think those things don't mix very well like i i was definitely not trained to be a teacher when i came to japan or korea i, I mean i studied history in university um i took a course to kind of help me to train a little bit right but in the end, like my education or my background is not in education at all. So I think just simply mass hiring people with university degrees and saying, all right, well, now you're going to be a teacher. I mean, it's very hit and miss that kind of model, right? Can you hear me? Can now I think we cut out for okay okay I'll just edit it okay all right so it's, I was saying like it's very hit and miss, that kind of model yeah I think yeah I mean a lot hello it's you know i think the, the profession of esl teachers has a has a bit of a reputation of uh, attracting people who are perhaps outcasts uh, weirdos <laughs> uh, not everybody of course but you know if if you're not socially successful i think you know one type of person that chooses to be an ESL teacher and move abroad is someone who's not successful in any number of ways in their own country of origin. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, going abroad, being an ESL teacher is a way of escaping from that. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I could definitely see that for like a lot of people. For me, I just wanted to go abroad. That was it. So as, as soon as I could, I, I went abroad and I was an ESL teacher. Don't worry, don't worry. I'm not saying that you're a widow or an outcast. <laughs> well, maybe I am, but <laughs> so. But what? So, you uh, go on, go on. I was just saying, but you know, there are a lot of positives I got from teaching that we should probably also hit on, and maybe positives you also got. So yeah, I mean, let's let's conclude by discussing whether whether we recommend it who we recommend it to and if we do recommend it then why we'd recommend it so i mean would you if someone said to you i'm thinking about going to japan or china or colombia to teach esl what, yeah. Jose, what do you think what would you say to them i would say great it's a good idea 
make sure you do it for two to three years max and have a plan to get out and take the next step if you want to continue living in that country because you don't want to be in that country whether it be china korea or japan you don't want to be in that country teaching esl for seven eight nine years uh, why not because unless you really love teaching it's gonna eventually be unfulfilling and it's gonna it's not gonna look good on your resume if you return back to your home country like oh, okay you taught at such and such akaiwa great like you know it's, it's just not a good resume filler i think to be an esl teacher so it has that downside too so i would say if you are staying long term uh just you know max two or three years find a way out or if you like it after two or three years try to step up in the company because if you can get to a middle management position or trainer position i mean then maybe you can make a, a career out of, out of it right well i guess that's what i'm doing so the answer is, is yes <laughs> are you manager mode I have been. I'm not. I'm not at the moment. Right. In my previous job, I was a curriculum development manager. If you're getting your PhD, do you want to step into a kind of a teaching history type of position? Or? Well, that's kind of up in the air. I mean, yes, that's the idea if the opportunity is available. Um, but as you mentioned at the start, yeah. it's, it's a difficult. It's a difficult. Um, industry and especially with what's happening now it's it's become even more difficult so that's the plan you know when i when i said i would um study a phd i said well i'm going to pursue it but then at the same time i'm going to develop my career in in the esl industry mm -hmm. uh, and so that's what i've been doing um because i can't I can't put all my eggs in one basket and say, okay, well, I'm going to graduate from studying PhD and then I'll definitely become, uh, be able to come become an assistant professor or a lecturer in the UK because that might well not happen. So I don't want to get to that position. And then I found out, Oh, there's nothing for me. I think where me and you might align is that we both like teaching. I think we both like teaching. I think we're, where we also might align is we don't particularly like teaching ESL. Well, at least for me, I don't know. Is that true for you? Because I do feel you like teaching and you love instructing. And one day you hope to instruct people in a subject which is really interesting for you, which is history. And I think I feel that way too. Like, yeah, I love teaching, I love instructing. That's why I have passion for teaching the some of the students I mentioned where like we study some business cases or we uh, go over some novels. That's cool because I do have a passion for it, but I don't have a passion for exactly English teaching, but maybe mm. does that sound like you or do you actually have some passion for strictly teaching the English language? Mm. I mean, I don't think it matters. In all honesty, I'm not sure that the subject matter is all that important to me. Um, I do, I do like, I do like language teaching and that mm -hmm. it's, it's an interesting combination of kind of performance and artistry on one hand, okay. create creativity, but then on the other hand, it, there is a kind of theoretical and scientific side to it as well. And I do enjoy how those two things come together okay. and how that plays out in the classroom. And so 
yeah, I think, I mean, one reason why I struggle to start off with because I was more introverted, but I have come to enjoy the kind of performative side of teaching. So would you, would you choose to be an ESL teacher or choose to be a, like, teach like American public policy at a university, which would be more appealing for you? In terms of teaching, teaching ESL would be much more interesting, right? I mean, teaching history or, you know, any liberal arts yeah. topic. I mean, you didn't stand on a podium for one hour or 90 minutes and lecture. That doesn't sound like much fun to me. On the other hand, as a career, as a job, you know, a university, um, a tenured position at a university is obviously much more, much better in terms of salary, benefits, pension, all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's, it would be a bit of a compromise, but. So you would just be interested in the research, not the actual lecturing, if you were to take that sort of thing. Well, I think it would be, it, the fact that you have both is appealing. Okay. You know, I'm not, I don't want to be in an office for 40 hours a week staring at a computer screen. I've done that. I've done that recently and yeah. it's not fun. Um, but equally, you know, you, we both know that teaching 25, 30, 35 teaching hours per week is, at, you know, especially at the upper end there is absolutely exhausting. Yes. Um, so I think, you know, some balance there would be nice. And I have that at the moment, you know, I am. Um, Doing, I'm teaching, but I'm also doing curriculum development. I'm doing some project management mm. and admin stuff. And so it, it's a nice balance where there's yeah. quite a bit of social interaction, but there's also some, some, you know, less intensive type of work as well. There was, there was some tough times with teaching now that I think of it, like it would be like, all right, you're going to teach someone, uh, their English level is really low here's a business book. It's a three hour lesson one-on-one. -on -one. And, and that situation is not rare. It's not common, but it wasn't rare. And it would be soul crushing in a way. And it'd be like, Oh man, really? Like, all right, let's, let's get this going. Like, you, you know what I mean? It's just really tough. That's rough. Yeah. Especially a three hour lesson. That's, that's not fun. And I don't think it's useful for the student and I don't think it's good for the teacher. So that's, that's what I mean by like the industry just using you as a commodity as a cog kind of thing that, that really turned me off to teaching English in Japan. But on the other hand, there were some really great students from great companies where I would teach them for an hour or, or even an hour and a half, but they would be at the level where we could have a high level discussion or conversation or, study session where I would get a lot out of it, maybe as much as they did. And uh, I would learn a lot from them. And actually I have to really credit some of my uh, business students uh, for really inspiring me to pursue my MBA and complete my MBA because I would get in a room with them and they'd be really sharp people and they'd be talking about, you know, different things about their business or their work uh, where I wouldn't really have a actual grasp of what they were talking about because I've never worked in that environment. So it really kickstarted me into, um, you know, looking into completing my master's degree. 
So I'm really thankful for that kind of experience and those kinds of students. And you also mentioned like you got some, some uh, maybe benefits out of it, like maybe it helped you to be more extroverted, maybe it helped you to speak in public, maybe it helped you to be more demonstrative and more of a, a showman in delivering, like it, it helped you with a lot of things, right? Yeah, I, I don't think it, I don't think it helped me be more extroverted. I think it, you know, it helped me accept that I can be successful as who I am. I don't need to be yes. somebody else, and I can't be someone else. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I I guess one reason why I'm still doing it is because I found success mm. doing that. People seem to react well to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that helped, that helped build confidence. So, but, you know, I think what you just said is, is right. You know, a big part of it is the people. And I guess, you know, mm -hmm. if it, you know, that's the thing that I've enjoyed most. Sometimes it's been frustrating with certain people, but, you know, <laughs> I have some, I have some, uh, some very close friends now who previously my students. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely, me too. Yeah, there's some some students who have become friends, and I appreciate those people. Sure. So, on that high note, <laughs> let's uh, let's conclude things for today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you've got comments or questions, you can send them over to uh, permanentlyres at gmail dot com, uh, and we'll see you next time. All right. Everyone, take care. See you next week.